The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Viewer discretion is advised. I am the music guy CJ Payne, and you're listening to The Noise Report. This is where we have fun, we laugh, we joke around, and we interview lots of amazing people from across the spectrum of music, movies, pop culture, and all this other fun crap. Uh, If you like to laugh, have fun, and just uh, giggle like a wild juvenile, uh, keep listening, and welcome to The Noise Report. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, freaks of all shapes and sizes from across the dimensions. And on the phone with us is somebody I am humbled and blown away to have on here. Uh, This guy has done more stuff than I could even list. Um, One of the most creative... (laughs) styles, um, crossover styles I've ever heard uh, on the phone with this is the incredible Wrench. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I am amazing, bro. Like, I am so honored to have you here, man. Like, I am such a massive fan, so. um, uh, You know, the the, the true answer is I'm hanging in there. (laughs) You know, certainly a lot of challenges going on. Give everyone just a, a short background on you because I do. There's so much that you do that just aside from the musician part of it. Uh, well, I uh, I started a shopping cart racing team around about 2003 that became the most uh, feared competitors in the game. <laughs> uh, and eventually, it became uh, the people uh, organizing. The, uh, the the great shopping cart race across New York City every year uh, called the Idiot Rod, and uh, we had a, a great time. There's no permit for it, so there was a lot of running from the cops involved. <laughs> nice. Uh, I also uh, I also grew up uh, with a lot of honky tonk music played by my dad on the home stereo and. I, I grew up in California in the 80s, and uh, hip-hop was blowing up, and uh, also me and my friends were listening to Recess during third grade was about putting down some cardboard to do your backspins to the Beat Street soundtrack and then to Run DMC. Yeah. When I started producing music, uh, uh, these influences were coming out where I was uh, I was making beats for rappers and, and always had these urges like, you know, a fiddle would sound really cool on this or a banjo right. or a kind of steel guitar. I mean, they never wanted to go for that. So I had to start experimenting with them on my own. And, uh, and that was, uh, around, uh, the turn of the millennium. So, uh, a good 20 years or so I've been doing a lot of different, uh, experiments with all the, all the crazy kind of permutations you can get out of that. Yeah, see, I think that's why your music connects so deeply with me. Um, my dad's been a truck driver for 51 years. I grew up in the front seat of a Peterbilt listening to Jerry Reed and um, Red yep. Sovine and, um, yeah. you know, Dave Dudley and that kind of stuff. My grandfather played 
all the old stuff. Uh, one of his favorite things ever. I don't know if it's still around, but uh, every Friday night he would turn the old AM station on and he religiously uh, listened to the Renfro Valley Barn Dance out of Kentucky. Nice. And I, so I grew up with that. But then, like you, like the 80s come along, I was in the hair metal. And then I was introduced to Ice-T and Public Enemy and AMG and those guys. And, um, you know, as a white kid who grew up on a farm, it blew me away. Like, you know, when I heard Ice-T, I'd never heard anything like that. Um, and then somewhere along, I think the early 90s, KMC crew did that remix of Devil Came Up to Michigan. And, you know, it's almost like a, a two live crew version of Devil Went Down to Georgia. And it was kind of at that point that I was just waiting for somebody to come along and realize that this could be done. Um, and when I heard you guys the first time, you know, with like the, the justified theme, I was, it was just an aha moment, you know, like. Finally, <laughs> somebody <laughs> did the brilliant yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, it's always been about uh, not just the fact that it could be done, but the fact that, like, I just I hear it. For me, it it sort of comes naturally, and, right? And to the, the the project has always been about just authentically bringing that together and and right. bringing it out of uh, you know musicians that really. They really are, are, are doing it with the full appreciation of, of all the stuff that they're bringing to the table. Right. Because, I mean, you would think, okay, a lot of people are, are just going to automatically think, okay, bluegrass and hip-hop uh, will never go together. But, like, when you did uh, Steel's Gonna Be the Death of Me. Yeah. What two things go together, go together better than, like, the sure. old southern you know, like, uh, Harlan type of outlaw with like, uh, you know, with like a, a Wu-Tang Clan style back to it, you know? For sure. I For mean, sure. that's we, just, we definitely, that's been part of the really, uh, fascinating thing is, is bringing together rappers and bluegrass players and seeing them discover just how much overlap there is between yeah. the different kind of narratives and stories that both of the, both of those genres um, have used so much. And so we got we got the outlaw stories, and we got the murder ballads, and we got the stories of struggle and hard times. And so it's so easy for it to click, um, actually. And it's just yeah. it's like all of this common ground has been so invisible. And I want I want to break it down for you for a second, because uh, that common ground has always been sitting there, um, but it's been covered up right. for decades. Um, going back to the 1920s. And this is stuff that I've learned um, over the last 10 years, you know, since, since I, I, after I started Gangsta Bass, because I started doing this just feeling like, hey, you know, th th I like both of these kinds of music and I can put right. them together. And, and thinking when I started off, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm bringing white music and black music together and I'm crossing these, these boundaries. But I've um, learned so much over the past 10 years about... The, the real history that's out there of, of how much yeah. um, the, the whole thing was segregated artificially right. from the beginning. And that before, before, the, before people were able to 
mass-produced records, uh, there was there was music of the South that was being shared around um, by all kinds of people across the South, multiracial string bands, right. uh, white musicians, black musicians. They were all influencing each other, yes. and they were all sharing a lot of common ground musically. And when and when uh, record companies first started in the 1920s to, to sell records, and the, at the point where they started branching out, because at first they were just selling records of like opera and Broadway hits and stuff. But when they decided, oh, we could we could sell records of this southern music that's that's uh, going on down there, um, they knew that their audience was segregated because this was in the time of Jim Crow. Right. And so even though they were recording music that was actually multiracial and was, was shared around. They decided to market it as two different kinds of music. <laughs> Sometimes they would even take the same band and put a different image on two different covers and right. sell it to two separate markets. And for the white audience, they called it hillbilly music. Yeah. And for the black audience, they called it race music. And those were the... Those were major categories that were labeled by the music industry itself and started selling Southern music as actually two different kinds of music. And over decades and decades of that, that became our perception. Right. That these, this was two kinds of music. And that's where um, we ended up having this big distinction where country music went one way and soul music went another way and blues music and, and we and we ended up thinking of them as white and black music, but the but the roots of them were actually very interconnected in how much both of them were influenced by both gospel music and um, and uh, and prison work songs yes. and the the religious music of the slaves, but also yes. the European ballads uh, that were coming over. And some people are shocked uh, to learn that the banjo was originally an African instrument. Yes. <laughs> and and that was adopted here, and it eventually became seen as this this uh, this white instrument. Even though right. um, the whole time, really, um, black folks have still been playing banjos and making country music. It's just been ignored and 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 put to the sideline because of this definition that we've put on everything. It's, as as what we think country music is and what we think blues and soul or hip hop is, and so I've been having my eyes opened um, for a while now of of discovering all of these hidden connections um, that are that are really there. Once you start looking, you you find all of these ways that musicians have been mixing and influencing each other and cross pollinating yeah. the whole time. Um, but it's it's come up against the fact that we have separate radio stations separate charts, separate magazines, separate yeah. TV stations um, that mm. represent these things as though they're these completely separate markets when they really aren't. Yeah. So that's that's the end of my rant uh, for tonight about how <laughs> we ended up with this idea of, of country music and, and soul music or hip-hop music being yeah. different and the idea in America that our, that our genres have race. And it's so crazy. Um, yeah. You know, the more the more you read and learn about it, the the more you see how much that has just been artificially put out there and maintained. So we're we're out there trying to trying to break this down a little bit and right. have a lot of fun in the process. Uh, make some amazing amazing music that lets go of that preconception. Yeah, I just 
I just watched a documentary called uh, Under the Under the Streetlight. It was about doo-wop and about the doo-wop groups and how very much like you were saying, once doo-wop started to pick up, um, you know, it was considered black music or, or race music. And the labels started taking uh, popular songs like from Little Richard and, and the Cardinals and that, and they would have like Pat Boone or somebody record them. And the white artists were essentially scoring number one hits with these songs and the black artists were essentially getting ripped off <laughs> for the most part yeah. and you know it's very much like you were saying that of you know it became this instead of this of amazing musical style that to this day is one of the most unique um that's been created you know they just kind of divided it and drove a wedge through it and all but destroyed it, you know, um, and amazing groups like the Drifters and uh, Little Anthony and the Imperials and and uh, Frankie Lyman were, you know, just robbed blind by labels that were unscrupulous and and uh, evil. <laughs> so, for sure. Um, I would like to know where you met Dolio and Arson. Um, the reason yeah. I ask, I have a very good friend. He's a hip-hop artist out of Akron, Ohio. His name is G Black, and he literally could be Dolio's twin. Huh. Like, when I seen his picture, I, I seriously thought, I, I immediately had to message G, and it's like, dude, this dude could be your brother, and we like get a laugh about it like all the time now. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm just interested. You gotta, you gotta send me that picture. You you can, you can like, look yeah. him up. He's all over Apple and all that. His name okay. is G dash B L A K K. Okay. He's an amazing artist, dude. Like uh, if you're ever looking for, a, I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah. He's like, uh, so me and me and Dolio have been working together. Uh, we're coming up on 20 years probably. Oh, wow. Um, it was around 2001, 2002. Okay. Um, I was uh, I was doing this honky tonk hip hop band called B Star. Okay. Um, one of my one of my early projects with it, and uh, the the DJ that originally started working with us was getting busy with some other projects, and we were trying to get more time commitment, and so he had to he had to bounce. And I was looking for a new DJ, and the uh, the guitarist uh, that was in the band. Uh, introduced me to Dolio, somebody that his roommate knew, uh, who uh, could DJ and could scratch. So we we brought him on board as a DJ for scratching, but it wasn't wasn't long before we started hearing him spit too. <laughs> right. So, uh, well, we got to get you on the mic too. So we right. Got him doing some verses as well in B Star, and uh, and we did a we did a bunch of shows and uh, I know a while, but. Uh, Eventually, that kind of petered out. I started doing more solo stuff. Dolio moved to Philly, but uh, once uh, once Gangsta Grass started started popping off, I reached out um, to him because I knew that uh, I knew that he was great at doing shows and right. could really spit. And, and so uh, I was filling out uh, some new lineups to to uh, try taking Gangsta Grass on the road. And there was a tour where I was in need of an MC, kind of last minute. I reached out to Dolio, but he had 
uh, prior commitments. And so he introduced me to our son and said, um, this is, this is a guy you want to, you want to bring on board for this. Right. Um, and our son is in Philly and that was our first stop on a weekend, uh, tour going from Philly down to North Carolina and back. And, uh, and we didn't even have time to really meet him beforehand. So, uh, we, we drove down to Philly the day of the show and uh, got together with, with our son outside the venue and uh, just tried it out a little bit, see how he could uh, he could rhyme on the stuff and said, yep, yep, that'll work. <laughs> and he jumped on the stage and did the show with us and then jumped in the van and came down to North Carolina and did some shows with us. And that's when I saw this guy. This guy can get up there and just freestyle a whole show. Right. <laughs> And it's amazing. And it's such a, it's such a, it's such an amazing weapon for us. Yeah. Um, to have an MC who can freestyle like that because um, it brings such a live energy to it. Right. Um, and it really blows people's minds. Um, they they see that 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 we're doing stuff that's not the same as the recording. Right. And he starts freestyling a verse, and. Before you know it, he the verse contains stuff about a shirt that somebody in the audience is wearing, something right. that we had for lunch that day, something that was going on in town that day, and so people are realizing, oh my God, he's he's making this up on the spot, but his, his freestyling is that good. Yeah, and that's how they realize it is because they're noticing that he's actually rapping about people in the audience right there. Um, so that that always like it just makes the show you know ten times better. And, and just bring such a cool energy to have somebody jump up and, and freestyle and keep keep that spontaneity going. Yeah, so that's, that was a really big thing. So it's, uh, at that point, uh, we we were doing some shows with our son, and, and once we once Dolio was free to to do some shows on with us, and we uh, we had them both on stage together. Man, we saw that that was also just a. Yeah. An, an awesome chemistry to bring on because of the way that they could hype each other up, that they could, you know, just just be adding to the to the energy on the stage. And so, you know, that's that's our that's our ideal right now. It's yeah. it's going on tour with our son and Dolio to, to both be on the mic. Yeah, because the early stuff was mostly tones, right? Yeah. So the the, the very first. Gangsta Grass thing was, uh, I call it Volume 1 now, and it's not <laughs> available anywhere except to our special subscriber program called the Barnstormers. Right. Um, because well, my initial thing as a sort of a proof of concept, I, I was sampling a lot of bluegrass albums. Uh-huh. And so it was a bunch of unlicensed samples, and I was using, I was using uh, vocals from a bunch of MCs that I had worked with that had recorded in my studio as a producer and I, I called them up and I said, Hey, can I can I use some of those tracks that you did here and put your vocals with some bluegrass? And they said, uh, sure, Wrench, go for it. They had no idea what bluegrass was. <laughs> and uh and one of them was Tones. I had been uh doing some beats for him and recording right. uh his albums and so uh some of the some of the tracks on the uh, the original Gangsta Graph experiment with tones, and one of those is what the uh, the people at the FX Network came to yeah. me about uh, when they were looking at stuff to to promote Justified. Yeah. So they they came they asked me about this song that was on there, and I said, yeah, you know that, that there's a sample on there we'd have to replace because it's not licensed, but uh, well we can do that. 
Uh, so we sent that their way, and, and they loved it. And then they came back a little later and said, the producers of the show saw this, and that's what they want for the theme song. <laughs> so, you know, I just, just stuck with the same formula. So I had yeah. uh, Tony do that theme song and figured, uh, you know, for anybody that, that likes that theme song, we should give an album of, yeah. uh, of the same lineup. So uh, so, the, so the album Lightning on the Strings, Thunder on the Mic, uh, was sort of a, more of an album just featuring tones. Yeah. Um, but after that, we got back to the to the actually original conception of uh, right. the way it was kind of a, a collective with a rotating cast. Yeah, he's such a unique... I mean, I've been friends with Tones for for years, and he's such an amazing talent. Like, the dude can just... Yes. Yeah, he can write record after record after record. Just, it's true. It's you know, true. and it's like... The, uh, you know, uh, you know, I've I've had a lot of experience with him where I'll send him a beat, and uh, by the time I wake up the next morning, he sent me back, you know, three verses. On right, <laughs> and they're dope, and they're totally tight. So yeah, you can't mess with that, man. Yeah, I mean, the, the dude's done. Like, God, I mean, I I've got like a whole hard drive practically. It just his yeah. stuff that he's done, and um, you know, and, and none of it is bad. I mean, that's the thing. I like. You know, yeah. like God, I, I I told him the one day I was like, man, I wish I could rap like one one hundreds as well as you can. I mean, uh-huh. not just not just lyrically, but the delivery and you know the 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 different styles he can use and the people he's worked with, you know. And it's just I I get so jealous of him that, um, but I admire the hell out of the guy. I mean, I just he's he's one of my favorite hip hop artists and for sure. Know, um, so I interviewed Samantha Martin and um she was absolutely wonderful and she had uh nothing but praise for you of of everything you did for the production and, well, and all that's that for definitely her. Definitely mutual. We're such huge fans of her. Yeah. Um tell everyone about the bar- I'm so excited about everything the, she's doing. Yeah. Tell everyone about the Barnstormers group, uh what it is. Because uh, yeah, it's a really cool concept. For sure. So we, we kind of, for a long time, we've been uh, sort of unofficially calling our, our super fans the Barnstormers, but okay. we actually set up something official this year now that we uh, have not been able to tour for a while. We wanted to still be able to connect with people and and do things that, that sort of, you know, give them, give them a special connection with us. So we started an actual subscriber program. I guess it's, it's kind of like a Patreon type thing, but it's right. actually directly through our website. Um, where uh, there's a couple of different tiers where people can sign up for a monthly subscription, and we're posting um, all kinds of uh, unreleased stuff, behind-the-scenes things, special videos and shout-outs, and uh, lots of uh, lots of behind-the-scenes goodies and stuff that other people don't see um, that the barnstormers get to get to download and enjoy, and we kind of try to keep a a regular stream of uh, just stuff that we're doing and working on that, that goes to them that nobody else sees. So anybody that uh, wants to get in on uh, really getting in the inner circle and the inside scoop on, on Gangster Grass stuff, uh, you can join the Barnstormers and, uh, and we'll be we'll be in touch with you. And you get a little, you get your own login to our site where you get to go and, and download your goodies. And uh, one of the things that we that we put out to them. Uh, a few months ago was to say uh, you can download the whole volume one album, which is not available anywhere else um, with your, with your barnstormer subscription. Nice. Where do they go to do that? Like what's the website? Uh, Gangstergrass.com. 
And uh, you can go to gangstergrass.com slash barnstormers to uh, check out the program. Awesome. Sign up. Uh, talk a little bit about you got a new remix with Brassy. I think it's how you say your name, or Brassy. Oh, Brassy, yeah. Um, and that, that's um, a collaboration that came out of uh, me diving into TikTok a few months ago. <laughs> um, since, uh, you know, basically that's, uh, that's such a huge thing now all of a sudden for for music. So uh, we got we to gotta check it out and, and kind of be on it. And I was posting a bunch of stuff and and uh, seen a lot of other cool musicians on there. And, and that was one that I reached out to and saw her. Her, uh, her videos of her singing and I said man I think this stuff is really cool and I want to put some beats on it and uh, she was open to it so uh, nice. so uh, this this uh, remix is coming out uh, this month of uh, a song of hers called Tomb that I uh, you know I got the vocals from her and then I just uh, went to town and did my thing and uh, right. put up put all the uh, put all the wrenchified stuff I could on it yeah put the put the funk on it <laughs> Yeah. Um, Indeed. Gangster Grass got a brand yeah, new record. I wanted to mention actually the last the last French album. Um, I I conceived of is it's kind yeah. of a truckers album. So uh, yeah, make sure that you uh, tap into that. You know, for yes. for trucking stuff. Big shout out to all the truckers out there hauling yes. stuff around and getting us all the stuff we need around the country. Um, so I put out a, a solo album a few years ago. Yep. Uh, called them the, the breaks, breaks and uh, and a bunch of songs on there that are kind of uh, trucker themed. Yeah. So I uh, for your dad and anybody else that, that wants to to get down with some trucker music, um, I got it for you. Yeah, I, I was going to bring that up in just a minute. That uh, um, <laughs> when I heard it, it it kind of not exactly, but it kind of made me think of Buck sixty five a little bit. Um, right. Which is sure. somebody else that I really like and. I, I just got to thinking when I heard it, I was like, God, man, like if, like if you and Buck 65 could get together, you guys would just like mm -hmm. completely level buildings. Like <laughs> you, you know would go nuts together. I'm going to check in. I'm going to check into that. I'm going to see if he uh, needs any production on his next album. Yeah. I, I love his stuff, man. Cause it's got, it's got, it's got that same flavor. It's got that outlaw yep. spirit to it, man, that, um, mm -hmm. but it, that's a solo, uh, new gangster grass, no time for enemies. I want to shout this record out because right out of the gate, um, there's a song called Freedom, and mm -hmm. it is one of the most poignant songs that you could have given today's climate. Um, it is social commentary without being preachy or divisive, uh, which I think is so cool. Um because so much music does have such a divisive slant to it that it's great to hear music that has a great message but doesn't necessarily say, okay, you got to take this side or you got to take this side. It's more of a, hey, we're human beings and, you know, let's treat each other right. Um, type of message. You know, that's, I, would, I would say that about a lot of our songs, but actually... Freedom was one that, that at first we were, we had a little, uh, I wouldn't say we were nervous. In a way, we were kind of excited because it, right. it actually felt a little a little more of a push uh, than a lot of other stuff because we're, we're so much about building bridges and right. sort of 
um, find, finding common ground where people feel welcome and included. Exactly. And, and, you know, making progress and stepping into the future. And freedom does take a, you know, it, it, it does, doesn't pull the punches so much. Right. And talking about, uh, you know, some of the, some of the historic stuff and, and some of the anger out there, which can be hard for some people to talk about. And, and we're fortunate to have a really, a really diverse audience in a way where we're, we're playing, you know, one night to, to Brooklyn hipsters and the next night to proud regdecks and, right. and Lexington or Houston or something and, and everything in between. Um, so we've, we've over the, over time we've developed, you know, an understanding of where, um, you know, where, where, where discussions can be hard for people. Yeah. Um, and trying to, to, to figure out how to, how to sort of sneak into those and, do a little Trojan horse of, of getting people into conversations about race without right. without uh, making them feel cornered or anything. But when we when, when Freedom First came together, the MCs were saying, "Man, this is going to be an interesting one to pick out there and play in uh, Kentucky and Tennessee and Texas and stuff." <laughs> and and it, it just uh, this was we were writing this in 2018, right? In 2019, and. Uh, and at the time, it, it felt like it was a little far out. And over the course of uh, 2019 and 2020, I think, you know, a lot of the rest of the country are, like, caught up and passed it. <laughs> so that uh, we, were, we, were, we were done recording it, and we were putting out our new album, No Time for Enemies. Right. And we had picked out a few of our, our really more poppy and fun-oriented songs to be the singles that we released on the way. To, uh, to releasing the album in August of 2020, and in uh, in June of 2020, when you had these uh, racial justice uprisings right. all over the country, after George Floyd, um, all of a sudden, you know, everybody like it was Black Lives Matter everywhere, and people were really pushing hard, yeah. and all of a sudden, freedom felt like it fit right in with the times. Yeah, <laughs> and we said, well, let's just release this one as a single now because. Uh, because it's it's like it's time people are people yeah. are ready for this and it you know it, it needs to be done but again i yeah. i didn't take it as a as a overly aggressive song i think it was just a mm -hmm. a very straightforward song that mm -hmm. spoke truth and you know it needed to be said and um I've got friends that really aren't even into country or any of that. Uh, G Black, for example, I introduced him to you guys, and he's a huge mm -hmm. fan now. And when he heard it, it's very much in the style of what he does. It's that very, you know, um, his new record is called um, Black Until Proven Otherwise. And, uh -huh. you know, I mean, it's lyrically, it's very similar. So he related to yeah. it very much the same way I related to it as a white guy. Uh, he related to it as a, as a black man. And, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a message that really, I think reaches across, the, you know, um, well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I, I think it's a, I think it's a credit to you, uh, to take it that way. Cause it really is, you know, it is, it's a story, uh, that can be inspiring story about, right. you know, the history of, uh, of America being one where people are, are being liberated yeah. and, and, you know, standing up and, and changing the situation. But, uh, you know, we've, we've had a lot of experience here and, and I myself yeah. as a white folk, you know, I, I'm, I'm coming out of, uh, uh, 
a youth and, and being raised in a way where I never really had to talk about race exactly and racism and so once once it did come up it was it was hard you know I, yeah. I had to have uncomfortable conversations I exactly had to learn some things I had to make some mistakes and uh, you know and that's everybody uh, everybody out there is on different places on that journey so yeah. when you put something out you know some people are, are going to have a harder time than others and we want to we want to help bring them along on that journey yeah. Um, but we were perfectly aware that, you know, it's easy for people to to, to feel cornered or attacked or something, that, you know, even when it's not, when that's not really what's going on. Yeah. Um, they got to they gotta get a little thicker skin over time. But yeah. it, it, takes some, it takes some work to get into that groove. Yeah, I mean, in its education is such a powerful thing. I mean, I'm the son of a truck driver. I grew up in the 70s around truckers. And trust me, I heard things at six and seven years old that would turn... Marines hair is white um, you know <laughs> truckers have never filtered anything they said and and when my dad would sit around the table um, even the day that I got to meet Jerry Reed um, you know I, it was such a freak thing um, went into a truck stop and we pulled in to get gas and dinner and we seen a big truck sitting there and dad you know that looks like snowman's truck and uh, Dad's like, ah, oh, it's just some trucker who has a truck like his. You know, everybody copied the trucks back then. And went into the restaurant and sat down and ordered. And I got up to go to the bathroom and walked down and walked around the corner. And Jerry Reed and about five other guys are sitting at a booth in the back in the corner. And I stopped dead in my traps. And I was, holy shit, that's Jerry Reed, you know. And I ran back to the table and I told my dad, I said, Dad, Jerry Reed's in the back. Dad's like, nah, it's just somebody who looks like Jerry. And I was like, Dad, it's Jerry Reed. He's like, no, it can't be Jerry Reed. He wouldn't be in no truck stop in Mississippi. I was like, Dad, it's Jerry. He's like, oh, he said, just go to the bathroom and get back here and eat your dinner. I said, okay. So I went back, and as I went past the table, I stopped, and I looked at him. And he looked up at me and smiled, and he said, can I help you, son? And I was like, are you Jerry Reed? He's like, yes, I am. And I was like, well, my dad said it wasn't you. And he's like, well, where's your dad? And he, I pointed across the restaurant, and he stands up, and he yells across the restaurant. And he's like, son, come on over here. <laughs> and my dad's eyes you know, were as big as the plate. And we had dinner with him, and they sat around, and you know, they told trucker stories. And um, they were filming Smokey and the Bandit, too. And oh, damn. they were away from right. catering, filming, and they got hungry, so they stopped to eat. <laughs> and we just happened upon them. Um, amazing man. Hilarious in every way. Um, one of the kindest guys I ever met. You know, I still got all kinds of memorabilia that he signed for us. And um, it was just one, one uh, once-in-a-lifetime thing. But I grew up with that. When I was introduced to Ice-T... In Public Enemy and X Clan, I'd never heard anything like that, you know, and it blew my mind. It was a different narrative to the story than I had ever been told. And then a teacher gave me a copy of the Malcolm X autobiography and said, Read this. This will, you know, and that was probably the greatest moment of my life. To this day, the autobiography of Malcolm X is my favorite book. You know, the man was brilliant in more ways than you could ever describe. So, yeah. get, getting back to the point <laughs> of, mm -hmm. 
you know, it was those conversations. It's those moments in time that can bring you along a path and bring you from where you start to where you get later. And, you know, it's things like this record that can create those moments and start those conversations and let people know that much like we said in the beginning, hey, the, you know, the hills of Kentucky aren't that much different than the streets of Brooklyn. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of similarity. And if you sit down and open your mind and talk, <laughs> that you will find, maybe we don't agree politically, but we might agree on food, we might agree on TV shows, we might agree on music, we might agree on the cars we love, you know, there's so many other things than just red or blue or conservative or liberal or Democrat or Republican that Absolutely. people are missing the point by letting people push them into them boxes and be divided. So, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> that was my rant for the night. <laughs> for sure. Um, I want to thank you. Things, even, even, even politically, uh, you know, getting getting beyond the, the, the liberal conservative thing is yeah. getting people together to talk. Is finding that they have so much in common in terms of yeah, you know what? It doesn't feel good to be excluded. Exactly. And it doesn't feel good to not to not see your culture on TV except represented as a joke or something. Uh, you know, and stereotypes, and and that, these are things that people from the hood and the holler both experience. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, getting getting that conversation going can be can be eye opening. And some yes. in some respects that we we actually have some of the same troubles. You know, in terms of uh, lack of jobs, needing needing more infrastructure and support, and we have some different problems. But I think once we recognize um, that we're kind of in the same boat, we're not. Yeah. We're not competing against each other. The, the problems that that you're facing in Appalachia are not, uh, yes. you know, in, in competition with the problems that we're facing here. So that you know, we should be able to fix both yeah. and not feel like we have to we have to blame you know somebody from from the cities for the for yeah. the problems in the country or blame the problem people out in the country for the problems in the city. And then those, both of those problems are coming from, uh, you know, a, a powerful elite of people who are benefiting from the fact that they're keeping both of us down. Absolutely. And it's absolutely true. The thing about Appalachia, coal mine companies polluting the water and the poverty and all of that. And then think about Flint, Michigan, yeah. dirty water, poverty. Yep. Again, you know. Absolutely. Worlds apart worldsly different but exactly the same in the sense that they're dealing with what he just said corporate greed and corporate you know and again letting the whether you want to say the man or the the machine or the system or whatever you want to call it just letting it pull us apart instead of coming together to actually fix these problems that need to be fixed um I want to thank you so much for coming on here, man, and, and listening man, and telling us about this. So and, on point. You are, you are really nailing it. 
<laughs> I could, we could we keep going forever, man. Yeah, I mean, I don't normally get like, I guess I don't want to say political, but I, I, I there's a time and a place, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. to me, the greatest music has a story. And again, you know, going back to Jerry Reed, you know, way back in the 70s, before hip hop really became, a, I guess, a commercial thing, you know, he was doing things like she got the gold mine, I got the shaft and and good Lord, Mr. Lincoln, which really, in a way, was kind of country hip hop. I mean, he the way he, you know, his diction of the words was kind of hip hoppy, you know, and some of the stuff that Red Sovereign did, you know, Phantom 309 was what's your uh, what's your favorite jerry reed oh man i love alabama jubilee the guitar work right, cool, cool. in alabama jubilee is just so insane yeah. <laughs> like you know people don't realize how great of a guitar player jerry really was oh right right you know and i forget about that yeah i and, enjoy I enjoy his, his vocals so much. I forget him. Yeah. That, that's him on guitar, too. Yeah. And, you know, uh, uh, Lord Mr. Lincoln and uh, Eastbound and Down, obviously. Everybody knows Eastbound yeah, and Down yeah. from Smokey and the Bandit. You I know. want to tell you, one, one that I just could, could never uh, get tired of is When You're Hot, You're Hot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, you know, he wrote U.S. Mail for Elvis. And there's huh. a lot of people don't know the story of U.S. Mail when he wrote it. Uh, the colonel heard it and said, I want Elvis to record it. So they took it and Elvis went to record it and he brought in 13 different guitar players who could not play the guitar part mm -hmm. because they couldn't finger pick the way Jerry did. And Elvis finally broke down and said, just get the damn guy in here to play it himself. So they called Jerry <laughs> and that's the only way Jerry would agree to do it is I have to come in and do it. So Jerry came in to do it and Elvis was so impressed. He took Jerry out on the road as guitar player. And that's where Jerry started, you know, uh, with Tupelo, uh, Tupelo Flash and, and all of that. Um, and we're completely talking about country music on a hip-hop show, but who cares? <laughs> you get to learn today. <laughs> um, check out Wrenches, Them's the Breaks. There's Gangster Grass new record, No Time for Enemies, uh, the Brassy Solo thing. There is tons of other stuff out there. Just type in uh, Wrench Audio on... Pretty much anything. There's no W on that. It's just R-E-N-C-H. Yes. <laughs> uh, type in Gangster Grass, Samantha Martin Music, uh, B-Star. Yep. There's a Barnstormers Group. There's a, just so much. Um, if you're a hip-hop artist and you're talented, and I know a lot of you guys are, this guy can do wonders. Um, so mm -hmm. if you contact him. Bring your best. Tell them you heard about them here at Graffiti uh, Street Symphonies. And don't bring can, no whack-ass stuff. you can handle a little twangy-twang on your boom bat, yes. up, man. I got the sound. Yes. Uh, one of the terms that i seen, he is the master of the banging twang. And I yeah, thought... banging twang, baby. I thought that was fucking brilliant. Like, that is such a great description <laughs> of what this is. Yeah. So, um... I'm going to shut the hell up now. I am going to play you, you know, I'm going to play you four songs from Gangster Grass and from Wrench just because I can, and it's my show. And anyways, Graffiti Street Symphonies, Extreme Noise Radio. I'm the music god. This is Wrench, and I'm going to shut the fuck up now. Yeah, yeah.